This is an RNZ podcast. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister told RNZ that any citizen or group can get their concerns in front of a government minister too, and they have equal opportunity to submit on legislation or appear before select committees at Parliament to influence decisions. But this week, Guy and Espina cast doubt on claims that our system is as transparent enough on lobbying as it needs to be, because not everything is discoverable if you don't know what to ask for. And his investigation hinged on what he was eventually able to discover using the Official Information Act. And in a video accompanying the series online, he said ministers and lobbyists had many ways for getting in touch. I've seen thousands of emails examining this industry. I've seen thousands of emails, text messages and even encrypted signal communications between lobbyists, politicians and their staff. The documents show how lobbyists use their inside knowledge and personal connections to try to get what their clients want. And on Thursday, Guy Espiner told Morning Report about a specific instance of this involving lobbyist and political commentator Neil Jones uses the encrypted messaging app Signal, which I think is interesting in itself, to communicate with ministerial advisers in little office when he was health minister. And one of those shows him asking when the Pharmac review is going to be released, and the documents show that he was working for the big pharma company Merck Sharp and Dome. Now, in the UK, the channels that ministers use to communicate outside of their official ones with advisers and lobbyists and how they end up influencing major decisions was also at the heart of a major scoop that's still running in the press there and which has also sparked big debates about so-called government by WhatsApp and also what's fair and ethical in the media. And when this yarn broke in Britain earlier this month, the revelations also led the New Zealand Herald's World News section here. The former British Health Secretary wanted to deploy a new COVID variant to frighten the pants off the public and ensure that they complied with lockdown. And that was according to The Lockdown Files, a series in the Sunday Telegraph, a British paper that, along with its stablemate The Daily Telegraph, is one of the New Zealand Herald's international news partners. The Herald website had another story that called this a sinister plan to frighten people into complying with lockdown, a lurid take that came from another of the Herald's international news partners, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp across the Tasman. But neither Matt Hancock nor his government in the UK was actively planning to release a new COVID strain they were simply wondering whether they could or should exploit the new strain to push their stay-at-home message, as they were already doing. Now, the Sunday Telegraph's lockdown files exclusive in the UK was based on exclusive access to more than 100,000 WhatsApp messages sent between Matt Hancock and his officials and others. But the remarkable thing about this is that Matt Hancock was himself the source of those 100,000 messages. Hancock handed them all over to journalist and biographer Isabel Oakeshott, a former political editor of the Daily Mail and Sunday Times, because Hancock had engaged her to write a book about his handling of the COVID crisis. Now, the Matt Hancock book, called The Pandemic Diaries, didn't fly off the shelves this year as he might have hoped, but the newspapers serialising the scandals in his WhatsApp messages certainly have, and they've also sparked a big row about ethics, which has jolted journalism and publishing in the UK. Isabel Oakeshott was unrepentant about an apparently stone-cold betrayal of her source on the BBC's version of Morning Report, the Today programme. It was a book that he wanted. I well, didn't leave anything out. Responsibilities I, actually broke a written legal agreement, a non-disclosure agreement. My responsibilities, having finished that book with him, are now to the public interest. Did the, you break, the public did you break interest, an NDA? I mean, that's a matter of public okay. record. 
In that interview, Isabel Oakshot pushed back hard against accusations that she's a muckraker for hire or that, as a vocal opponent of COVID restrictions, she was now making mischief in a paper that shared her views. This is about the millions of people, every one of us in this country, that were adversely affected by the catastrophic decisions to lock down this country repeatedly, often on the flimsiest of evidence for political and reasons. Yet you helped Mike Hancock write a book justifying uh, all why, those very why? decisions. Why? Because I wanted to get to the yeah. truth of it. Well, Isabel Oakshot was not at all shy about her conduct in a fuller interview on the UK news podcast The News Agents, who alleged that she had burned and spurned her source. You cannot sit on this stuff. In the end, you've got to decide what is most important. Is it my relationship with Matt Hancock? Well, no. And in this part of the interview, she went on to threaten to damage Nick Hancock even more. You can see the reputational risks associated with it. Mm. I'm not going to deploy nuclear weapons, but I have them. But they exist. These nuclear... What, about him and his behaviour? I'm just not going to go there, OK? He should not poke the hornet's nest. Because there are things that you could say which would I'm be very not... damaging to him. Yes. Paul Lashmar is a former investigative reporter in the UK and now a journalism professor at City University in London and an expert on leaks in digital era journalism. Well, you know, I'm used to dealing with ethical questions, um, but this one's a really complicated one because, quite frankly, uh, Isabel Oakshot is a real one-off and with a track record of revealing information about from her sources, uh, breaking confidentiality agreements. This had resulted in uh, one... Uh, senior economist in this country having to go to prison because she'd admitted to Isabel Oakshot off the record that she had uh, taken her husband's traffic offence points. This meant that both of them were then prosecuted. But she did it again with another case. And so I don't know what Matt Hancock must have been thinking, if he does, uh, when he decided to use her as uh, his ghostwriter. Why was this material leaked and why uh, and what was the intent of it? It certainly wasn't leaked in what I would call straightforward uh, journalistic way. It had an agenda. And the agenda was to demonstrate that lockdown was a complete mess. This has been quite a sort of recurring theme on the further edges of the right in Britain, that lockdown was a disaster, mainly because I think they perceived that it damaged the economy and did more damage. And in this, lockdown did more harm than good in their view. Of course, none of the people uh, who exchanged on WhatsApp with Hancock have been consulted and have found their private comments uh, emblazoned everywhere uh, with what they thought were private, confidential government uh, exchanges. Uh, I, I guess there, there really is an interest in knowing, isn't there, how these decisions were made and if all of this is going on outside of what people might have regarded as you know, discoverable uh, and legitimate uh, government channels, then that perhaps strengthens her claim that this really is in the public interest. Distasteful as the whole thing is in many ways, the material is important. If I'd been an editor of a um, newspaper, I would have felt obliged to have made quite a big thing of this because it's very revealing. It is in the public interest. Ultimately, you have to say that what's gone into the public domain has told us something about modern politicians. Part of my work as a journalist, I often do historical research and I read a lot of... Uh, now released material from ministers in the past. You know, you have to say that the ministers and the mandarins and their exchanges are of a much more intellectually higher standard than this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I know it's WhatsApp, but the banality of some of these exchanges, the you know, the cynicism, it just is off the scale. 
it's where you see them trying to present things to the public and in, it makes them look good rather than actually is in necessarily in the best interest of the, of their uh, of of the citizens of the country you know all the stuff uh, the the whatsapp messages would they have come out in some sort of inquiry anyway we don't know is sort of the answer certainly the uh, inquiry will get to, uh, will have got to see them but i don't know they would have ended up in the public domain you know overall you know, they should have been published. The, it's, it's astonishing listening to those interviews, those bullish interviews that Isabel Oakeshott is doing where she's defending yeah. herself stoutly. Uh, she's also warning she has other stuff which she thought there was limited public interest in but that she would release, which would be damaging for him if pushed. She even referred to it as nuclear weapons. This is conduct of someone involved in journalism that really is unethical and, and worrying, isn't it? Uh, well, it is because it's selective, you know. I mean, it's selective to an ag- agenda. And I don't know whether the editor of the Daily Telegraph has seen all of them and what that what their input is. Uh, but it seems to me that it's either or it should all be or nothing unless there's something very personal that really doesn't have any public interest dimension. I mean, in a way, that, that protection of sources is interesting because this is almost the reverse of that. So journalists often have get a damaging, a leak of something that's damaging to someone and the journalist is being used really to damage a political opponent uh, and the real yeah. public interest will be, well, who the hell is leaking that information? That's that's the real story. And, of course, the journalist will say, well, I must protect my source, couldn't possibly say where it came yeah, from. Well, uh, but this is the uh, reverse uh, of that where she's willingly telling you yeah. that in order to reveal what she thinks the true public interest is. Uh, we cannot survive without sources. We cannot exert our full-to-scale role if we can't... Um, protect sources. And anything that endangers that, of course, has an impact on journalism. So it it is worrying, although, as I say, this is a bit more complicated. But protecting sources is what we do. Uh, It's probably the most important thing we do. And if necessary, you know, we carry the cannon over it. Well, finally, Paul, you have experience as an investigative journalist of uh, dealing with leaks and sources in the pre-digital age. Um, you've written about uh, long hours in pubs, cultivating sources. <laughs> and then now, then of course, digital era makes it a bit different into the era where millions of official documents or private communications could be stored on one uh, USB drive smaller than half of your thumb. So yeah. do we need new rules or conventions to deal with, you know, this massive digital information that can be uh, disseminated so easily? There are already laws that affect a lot of this. And certainly the laws that have been brought in to protect national security are draconian in, in, in Britain. You know, you, you know, the, it, it's much easier to send a journalist to prison uh, if they are perceived to have breached national security than it was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's oppressive, quite frankly. But ethics is, is, lies in the realms of making personal decisions, so it's complicated. Uh, what uh, Isabel Oakeshott has done is acted in the public interest, but in a very, very um, uh, unpleasant way. You know, when I read what Matt Hancock and his colleagues say, and I think, well, these were people... Run, you know, they were trying to do some good things, don't get me wrong, but the way they went about some stuff really is depressing that this is the standard we have come to in terms of our politicians and our civil service, that their level of conversation is like, well, you know, locker room, really. It's, it's, it's sort of like teenage banter in part. 
you know, I, when I communicate with friends, we, we say things that we probably wouldn't want people to say publicly, but this is beyond that, anything like that. That was Paul Lashmar, a former investigative reporter in the UK who's now a journalism professor at City University in London. He's also a founder of the UK's Bureau for Investigative Journalism and an expert on leaks in digital era journalism. And incidentally, there's no sign yet of Nick Hancock seeking any legal remedy from Isabel Oakshot for the breach of any non-disclosure agreement. And the Sunday and Daily Telegraph newspapers continue to spin stories out of those lockdown files, saying that they shine a light on what they call government by WhatsApp and how people in power really reacted to events at a time of crisis. And as a result of this, journalists and others will probably specify WhatsApp and other chat groups, along with official channels, when they're issuing requests for official information under our Official Information Act.